for joining us for Leading Edge. I'm Melissa Andrews. 2023 brings with it new leaders in our community with ideas for change. You'll meet two of them today. Rebecca Facey is the new city prosecutor. She'll tell us about her passion for domestic violence law and her mission to form a domestic violence task force. And interim police chief Mike Trenley, who is in the running for the permanent position with Toledo Police. I met up with interim chief Trenley earlier this week to find out what's in store for the department under his leadership. Uh, Mike Trenley, thank you so much for, for meeting with us. I want to get to know you a little bit. Who is Mike Trenley um, as a police administrator and as a man? So I guess I'll take the man first. So I'm a, I'm a family man. I've been married oh, since 2005 to my wife and we have two kids. Um, so a preteen and a teenager. So they, they keep me active. Um, both my kids play sports, travel sports. So it's a, it's a constant uh, demand on your time and uh, moving around the country. But uh, so they, they're, they're what keeps me grounded. Um, you know, if you think you're somebody important and look what happens, ask your 12 year old how important you are because you're not going to like the I answer. I can identify <laughs> with you. Yeah. What did they think about having a police officer for a father and now that you're this interim chief? Yeah, so you know, it's kind of funny. Up until this point, I'm not sure they thought too much about it, right? Because, you know, I come home and then you're dad, you know? So you kind of take your uniform off and you're doing your family things, you're doing your kid things. And uh, so you're just kind of normal. Um, now that it's starting to get a little bit of attention and people are saying things and, uh, you know, the news is on and like, hang on a second, dad, you're on the news again. And uh, so, I think they're starting to realize my son more than my daughter. Um, my son is actually like, okay, this is this is kind of cool, Dad. And uh, so getting texts from him uh, in the middle of the day was pretty cool. Wow, oh, you're a little choked up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's tough. Being a dad is is a big part of your job too. Yeah. Policing and leading a police department is a tough job. The mayor once said, in my opinion, being a police chief is the single hardest job in America. Why do you want that job? Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, sometimes I think my head should be examined. And uh, but the reality is this: I've never been afraid to step up. Okay, and I sit there and I look, and if if not you, then who? And if I bring a lot of experience from being inside the Toledo Police Department, and a lot of knowledge of our community, and I think having somebody that has been here for this long and has kind of risen through the ranks and knows and understands how an organization like this works is a really big crucial thing. Um, so for me, I think I still have a lot to give to this department. And you know, you talk about kids, you kind of have 623 kids, right? Um, and so they're a part and extension of my family. Um, we are a big group here. Uh, we don't all get along, not everybody likes each other, but then again, neither is my family every time, right? So, um, so knowing that I can do what's best, knowing that I can give them the leadership that they crave and need and the structure and stability and the, you know, just that authority that someone's saying, it's okay to be out there being the police. It's okay to do your job. You're trained, you're highly trained. You know what you're supposed to do. Just go out there and let's do the job right. And let's make sure that we're producing the best product for the citizens, for our residents. Um, make sure that our community is buying in. Make sure that you're interacting with your community, making sure that they understand we're here to stay. 
and that they can trust us. And no matter what happens across the country, 99% of the videos you ever see, they're not wearing a Tulip Police patch on their arm. Does it scare you at all the way that the climate is right now? Certainly some situations have been justified that we've seen in police or policing, police brutality. Some have not. Yeah. As we've all heard, there are good police officers, there are bad police officers, but certainly it's given a black eye to the position publicly and it's given people pause about whether police officers can be trusted. Does that make it more difficult for you and how do you navigate that? Yeah, so absolutely, that that does make it more difficult. Um, and look, I, I understand the lumping all police officers, officers together because we all wear a uniform. We all represent a certain uh, level of the government that is meant to help control our society, to help keep our society safe and making sure that you can go out to the store, you can go to the movies, you can go to the mall, you can go wherever you want and be safe and happy. Um, 2020 was just a banner year for the police department. When I say banner, it's not a good year. Um, because our officers were in culture shock. Because if you think about what happened in 2020, COVID hits, law enforcement, your first responders, they're out on the street, they're heroes, right? Um, people are bringing food in. People are celebrating them, saying, hey, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for being out there. While we're all locked into our houses, you know, the fear was crazy back then, right? Because no one knew what was happening. So you had officers that still were experiencing those same, same fear. Talk about home life, right? And family. Your family is seeing you leave, not knowing what's gonna happen. And it turned out, you know, 2021, and COVID was one of the largest killers of law enforcement officers across the country. So you have that fear going on right there, you're starting with, but you're coming into a, an environment where people are celebrating you, and then May happens. And then like this, the light switch is turned, and immediately you are evil. You, you represent something that our society no, want, no longer wants. The screams across the country of- George Floyd? Yes, George Floyd, to fund the police. And I'll, think about George Floyd for a minute. How often had you ever seen before that where other law enforcement officers were coming out against what happened? Other unions were coming out against what happened. Everybody was coming out against what happened. And the process worked. He was eventually arrested, convicted, but it still is unsatisfying um, because you know the victim doesn't come back. You don't, you know, you can't, you can't rewrite history and do that and bring somebody back. So, but in that time, you went from being told you're great, you're a hero, to boom, you are nothing. You you should be you should be sent to prison for doing your job. So that is hard for them. That is hard on your psyche to go, how do I go out there and do my job every day? They still did, but there was also a natural tendency to pull back a little bit too, right? So now it's like, okay, that pendulum's swinging a little bit and people are starting to say, hey, we support you. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of our community supported us even through the George Floyd, because it wasn't us. It's just some were afraid to come out and say something. Mm -hmm. But now they're starting to say, okay, we support you. So now it's going, okay, officers, I, I understand we're cynics. Um, we're, we're always a little bit reserved. And we're like, okay, I want more proof. I want more proof. Well, start, uh, you know, start absorbing the proof you're seeing and let's get back out in the community. They, they need us. 
they deserve to have us out there to make sure that they're able to live their life safe. I think this is a good place to take a break. We'll talk more about that when we come back on Leading Edge. Welcome back into Leading Edge. Uh, we are talking with Interim Chief Mike Trenley here with the Toledo Police Department, getting to know him a little bit. Before the break, we talked about how culture changed for police uh, during COVID, after the death of George Floyd. So you're the Interim Chief. How do you begin to address the damage uh, that's come from those situations? Yeah, I think the big, the big key thing is just letting our officers know that they're supported. Uh, you know, our department supports them, I support them, the community supports them, our mayor's office supports them, but they support them to go out there and do the job they're trained for and to go out there and do policing correctly. Um, as we talked briefly, nobody supports when you do something that is implicitly illegal. So that's not going to happen. You can't expect anybody to support you for that. Um, but you want to do your job and be honest and fair and treat people consistently and be pure of your heart and what you're doing, then yes, everybody will support you. And you've got to address this while you address um, near record homicide yeah. levels. In the last three years, we've seen pretty much record levels or right near there. What do you think needs to happen to bring peace? So. I think, and this is gonna sound a little bit corny, but everybody needs to work together when I say everybody. So the whole criminal justice system has to be working in concert and everybody has to be doing their portion of the job. Police are only one small um, cog in that big wheel. Um, the courts, the prosecutors, the jails, the, I mean, the whole system has to come together, but it even takes more than that. Our community has to be on board. Our community has to be involved. Our community has to be letting us know and they have to be in a position that they're not afraid to let us know what's happening because they know that when they do tell us what happens, we're going to protect them. Well, and even the chief, the mayor has called out um, people who, you know, the snitches get stitches. Yeah. They've both blamed gangs and they've both said that there's about a dozen people who are responsible for the majority of these crimes. Yes. So, and that's absolutely true. So. <laughs> Through my crime analysis background, um, one of the things we've always learned, it, it was a 660 rule. And it was 6% of the criminal population is responsible for 60% of the crime in your city. And when you think about that, you think 6%, well, that's a large number. Well, that's 6% of your criminal population. So if you only have less than 1% of your population actually commits crimes, then that 6% is even lower. So there are a small number of people out there that are causing a lot of harm to our society. They are causing a lot of victimization. And those are the people that we need to target and make sure that we remove them from the streets and don't allow them to cause any more harm. Um, and I don't agree that everybody needs to go to jail. That's not the solution for everybody. And I think the courts do a great job of trying to look at their tools and say, um, look at the risks of you know committing more crimes, look at the risks of fleeing. And they try to do that as a way of uh, determining who gets bond, bail, who stays in jail. The problem is, a lot of them are juveniles, mm -hmm. so they haven't had a time to build up a big criminal history. So a lot of times they fall through the cracks of the normal tools we use to identify the risk of the population that's being released from the jails. One of the programs that I've always been interested in is the Violence Interrupter Program. Mm -hmm. How do you make this program successful? Is it 
currently successful? Do you make changes? Can you so, make changes? So when you, you, you talk about the violence interrupters, um, so those are actually uh, a little bit separate than the policing. So those are run That's through the That's why I find it interesting. Yeah, so, I've so, always so, wanted to talk to police chief yeah. about the crime. So, and it is separate. And I, I had a conversation with our safety director uh, on Monday and said, okay, is there anything we can do to help support that program more? Um, you know, it came in and a lot of officers were skeptical on it. Um, but the reality is they're kept separate for a reason because they have to keep and build trust in their community that they're not the snitches, right? So they're helping build uh, relationships with the community to try to help interrupt the violence before it happens. We're there, unfortunately, to clean up the mess sometimes, right? Um, yeah, we do a lot of proactive things. We run a lot of initiatives ourselves to get out there and make sure we're addressing crime and we're using our technology, we're using our data. Uh, we're huge on intelligence-led data-driven policing and we have crime analysts that are outstanding and they're providing us information and we have Friday meetings. Every Friday we sit there and we, we drill down into the data and look at where the crimes are occurring and we use that to try to get out there and address those areas to try to interrupt some of the shootings ourselves. How do you view, speaking on that vein about the separation, how do you view a relationship between a police chief and the city administration? How should that relationship look? So, you know, that's, those are difficult waters to navigate sometimes, but I believe we should be working in concert. Uh, I truly believe our mayor wants to reduce crime as much as we do, and he wants a safe, livable city as well. So I think us working together, now politics coming into play, sometimes, unfortunately, I'm learning uh, being chiefs very political too. So, um, but my core job is to reduce crime, protect our officers, make sure they're in a condition to be out there in the street to take in the stress of everybody else. Um, so that's why we do a lot of wellness stuff and we're big on that. Our first wellness day was yesterday. I'm hearing rave reviews, it was outstanding. Officers are saying, this is what we needed, this is what we need. And the reality is, I can't, the stat was, an officer through the life of their career will have 188 traumatic incidents that are gonna occur in front of them, to them, with them, where the general public only has two throughout their lifetime. That's a whole nother topic, it really is. Yeah. And uh, it's it can be very hard mentally, and, and we've talked about that, and hopefully we have time to talk about it in the future. Thank you so much for taking time out for us today. We appreciate it, best of luck. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Thanks so much for staying with us. We are getting to know the new chief prosecutor for the city of Toledo, Rebecca Facey. She's no stranger to Lucas County, having served over there for nine years as a prosecutor. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for joining us. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. And congratulations on your new position. I thought we could get together here for a few minutes on Leading Edge just to get to know a little bit about you um, and some of your passions, which I noticed uh, surround heavily around uh, domestic violence, which is, an, is a problem in, in many communities. Um, how did you first become so interested and vested in trying to solve this problem that I say plagues so many? 
Yeah, well, thank you so much for Melissa for having me and for highlighting uh, the work that we're doing here in Toledo Municipal Court and criminal justice and focusing on domestic violence, which you're right, is a huge problem, not just in our community, but unfortunately in every community. Uh, so I started as a domestic violence advocate here in the Toledo Municipal Court 16 years ago, uh, back in 2007 and found myself in the courtroom uh, working with victims and wanting to do more, wanting to be more of a voice for them and their struggle, which led me to law school. And through that journey, uh, ended up, like you said, uh, interning and being employed by the Lucas County Prosecutor's Office for the past 10 years, almost 10 years, excuse me, uh, as the specialized domestic violence felony prosecutor there. Uh, so a uh, kind of long full circle way of coming back to Toledo Municipal Court and getting to refocus on this really important issue to me, domestic violence and evidence-based prosecution. Evidence-based prosecution, um, we talked a little bit about that. Tell everyone what it is and why you believe that that's more effective in addressing the problem and finding solution. Yeah, so traditionally domestic violence cases have been prosecuted in a way in which the if the victim doesn't come to court, doesn't cooperate with the state and the government to move the case forward, then the cases get dismissed. If the victim isn't there to testify about what happened to them, uh, then um, the state would be unable to proceed. What uh, we've seen a shift in over the past decade and what I was able to do in Common Pleas was focus on evidence-based prosecu prosecution, looking at what other evidence exists to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. 911 calls, photographs of injuries, medical records, other witnesses, neighbors, family members, uh, things of that nature. And what's been hugely helpful is the body cameras worn by almost all law enforcement now at this point, which is able to capture the emotion and the immediate aftermath of what happened in a domestic violence incident. So being able to use some of those pieces of evidence to move a case forward, regardless of whether a victim is able to come to court and, and prosecute their case or not. I always say it's our job as the prosecutors to prosecute the case. It's not the victim's job. Yeah. And I think with abuse, there are so many layers. There can be physical abuse, certainly, but underneath that, a level of mental abuse and um, emotional abuse that can be a lot harder to break than just leaving a situation. And so this really sounds like your office is going to be a greater victim's advocate in terms of taking that pressure off of, of the victim. That's right. And, and you're absolutely correct. Domestic violence is a crime, but it's so much more. And, and there's a lot that happens in abusive relationships that don't cross the threshold into criminal activity. Uh, but once it's a physical or sexual assault, it is. And uh, some of those dynamics you're talking about in domestic violence relationships is really based in power and control, right? And this mental, psychological abuse uh, that goes into a relationship far before the physical abuse ever starts um, and makes it so difficult for victims to 
what we all want to think is just easily getting out, getting away, leaving. Uh, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And so, yes, taking the pressure off of them, it's not their responsibility to, to prosecute the case. That is the government's job and why we have prosecutors in the first place. So you've been tasked with developing this domestic violence unit. Uh, very interesting. What is it going to be? How is it going to function? And who's going to be on it? What are your goals with this? Well, no one is more excited to figure that out than me, Melissa. Uh, and we don't have all of the details of it yet. What we do know is the city has allocated two positions for specialized domestic violence prosecutors here in Toledo Municipal Court and excited to identify who those individuals will be and what exactly that program will look like. What we do know is that those prosecutors will have specialized training to understand the unique dynamics of these relationships, uh, what makes it so difficult to leave, what makes it so difficult to participate in the court process, and what safety really looks like for the individuals involved in these relationships and these court cases. So looking forward to identifying those folks, getting some really good training in place. I look forward to being a huge part of that unit with my own experience and bringing some of the tools, like I said, from Common Pleas here to share with the group. So, but I have a lot of conversations to have with the rest of the courthouse staff here, particularly the judges, uh, the court administrators, the clerk's offices, you know, everyone has a role to play in how exactly this unit will work and interested in hearing their perspectives before we move anything officially forward. Rebecca Facey, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the new position and we'll certainly uh, be interested to see and hear what you do there, especially with that new domestic violence unit. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Take care. Thanks to TPD Interim Chief Mike Trenley and the city prosecutor Rebecca Facey for their time today. We'll see you next week on Leading Edge.